At the 2021 Objectivist Conference, ARI CEO Tal Tisfani announced the Ayn Rand University, a major expansion of ARI's educational offerings. During this year's conference, he gave an update on the growth of ARU. As part of the presentation, he announced a large expansion of our course offerings for the 2022-2023 academic year. Today, we're going to discuss the new ARI, excuse me, ARU course catalog, and in particular, talk about one of the new courses being offered on the foundations of physical science. Welcome to New Ideal Live, the podcast of the Ayn Rand Institute. I'm Mike Mazza. With me is Keith Lockage, who will be teaching the physical sciences course. Uh, so Keith, I want to start by asking you about um, the ARU vision before we talk about your physical science course. So you're the VP of education for anyone in the audience who doesn't know. So you've been involved in the planning and strategizing of, of ARU. What's the, what's the vision? Um, the old program, the Objectivist Academic Center that, that I graduated from was promoted as training for professional intellectuals, intellectual professionals. Is that still the target student um, or, or do we have something, something new in mind? No, so we do have something new in mind. So the, the vision partly has to do with our perspective on, you know, who, who, who is the potential audience that can benefit from the kinds of products that we can offer. And you, you alluded to the OAC or the Objectivist Academic Center. Uh, we're, try, we're, we're, we're retiring that term and we're really trying to stick to the new, like a, we have a vision for a, a broader um, offering, and we're calling it Ayn Rand University to reflect that broader vision. Um, so we're trying not to say OAC, and we're trying not to say ARI. Uh, we're trying to say ARU. <laughs> I mean, not, not that the institute is going away, but but when we talk about this program, we're talking about Ayn Rand University. So as you said, uh, you know, in the past, our our primary focus has been on finding and training people that we think of as, as future professional intellectuals or intellectual professionals, you know, people who in some way are going to draw on their knowledge of philosophy of objectivism in their professional work, whether as a professional intellectual or in, or in some other capacity. So in our recruitment and our admissions in the past, we put a lot of emphasis on a person's potential for some form of intellectual career. Those are the kinds of people we were looking for. And our curriculum, was very narrowly focused on developing the, the kinds of knowledge and the kinds of skills that are necessary for somebody who works in an intellectual capacity. So, you know, from our point of view, that consists of a deep knowledge of objectivism, I mean, a, a broader knowledge of philosophy in general and how objectivism is situated within the history of philosophy, and then training in thinking and communication skills. So these are the sort of basic skills that a, that a professional intellectual needs. But in thinking about ARI's strategy over the last couple of years, you know, we, we think there's a much broader audience who can benefit from the kinds of education that we as ARI can offer. You know, so what, what if we could attract any young person who's ignited by Ayn Rand's writings and ideas, excited by the vision of the world that Ayn Rand has to offer and wants to use them you know, to forge their own path in life, to create a life worth living for themselves, whether, they, whether they're interested in an intellectual career or not. So this will still include potential professional intellectuals and intellectual professionals. That's still a special focus for us and a special target audience. But what we think we can offer is much broader than what we've been offering in the past. And the way Tal Tsvani likes to put it, our CEO, is that what we want to offer is a foundation for life that's grounded in objectivism. Okay, so then how do the new course offerings uh, align with that vision? Um, as you mentioned in the past, it's been pretty much philosophy, communication. Uh, this year we're offering classes in a variety of subjects. So how does that all fit together into the new, uh, the new vision? Yeah, so the idea in, in offering a foundation for life, um, the idea is that we're expanding the range of subjects that we cover on the grounds that 
you know, what it looks like to be an educated adult and to have the foundation that's required to, you know, succeed in the modern world and forge a, a life worth living for yourself is, is that there's, there's, there's certain subjects that are sort of the pillars of human knowledge that I think any educated adult uh, needs not just to know something about them, but to know something about them from the right perspective and from the right framework. You know, our education system today, you know, does an absolutely horrible job of preparing young people for life. So even if they might take courses in all different kinds of subjects, it's they don't learn them in a way that makes it clear, you know, how this fits into, uh, you know, how this how this fits into life as a whole. So one of the things that we're doing is we're offering a range of subjects that we've never offered before. So if we could put up the, uh, this is a screenshot of our course catalog. Um, so as, as you can see here, and uh, I guess we don't have the URL on this page, but um, you, can, you can see all these courses by going to university.einrand.org, there it is. Uh, but if we go to the full screen, so you can see that we still have our core courses on philosophy and communication skills, right? There's a course called Philosophical Skills. There's a, an objectivism seminar. Um, that's a continuation of a course that started last year. Um, you can see my writing courses up here. Um, so a lot of the core offerings that we've always been offering will continue because that's, you know, essential to what we do. Um, but there will be some changes. I think one exciting addition is we're going to have Yaron Brook uh, do some courses on public speaking. Um, so you can see here an, a course on oral communication by Yaron Brook. So um, he's the former exec CEO, executive director of ARI. He's the chairman of our board. And if you know anything about him, you know that he's an amazing speaker and travels all around the world giving talks uh, <clears throat> on objectivism. So, um, so we have him teaching a course on public speaking. But we also have new subject areas that we're adding. So if you look here, you can see there's some courses on literature. Um, we have, we're going to be doing a course on, uh, that's, that's based on a, a lecture series that Leonard Peikoff gave called Eight Great Plays. So this is a course where he uh, analyzes in detail eight, you know, sort of world historic plays from, from the Western literary canon. Um, and, he, and he presents a method of how to think about them, how to analyze them as literature. Um, and so what we're going to be doing is we'll be having the students read the plays, listen to Dr. Peikoff's lectures, and then do assignments and have discussion sections based on this. We're going to be drawing on this, on this uh, you know, brilliant, fascinating discussion of literature by Dr. Peikoff. And then we also have some courses on particular great works of literature. Victor Hugo's 93, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, and we have you know, experts on literature in our community that we're drawing on to teach these courses for us. So we're, we're drawing on a, on a broader range of faculty. We're going beyond ARI staff. We're drawing on experts in the objectivist community that we can use, draw on their expertise to teach these courses. And part of what we're doing is expanding the subjects. You, you can also see here, my physical science course uh, is one of the things that's being offered. We're gonna talk about, that's what we're gonna talk about today. Um, if we go to the next image, um, the next courses image, you can see here. So again, more of our standard courses on, on communication and, and different aspects of philosophy. We also have this course here on, on the law. So Adam Mossoff, who's a, who's a professor of law at uh, George Mason University, um, he will be teaching a course on how the how, on a legal system as an intellectual achievement. So we're we're ex and and this is just the start. Obviously, there are other subject areas that we would consider the pillars of human knowledge, but we're we're you know this is the start of expanding into these different subjects. And just to be clear on what this means, what the, what this this doesn't mean that what we're going to be offering is you know, sort of a complete college level education in these subjects. We have, you know, so Adam Mossoff will be teaching a course on the law, but he's not teaching law. Like he teaches law at his university. We're not trying to replace that. 
and I'm teaching a course on the foundations of physical science. This is not an attempt to replace what you would get in a physics curriculum if you studied physics at a four-year university. The idea is we're trying to introduce these subjects and talk about the foundations of these subjects from a unique perspective that's informed by objectivism's radical framework. And I think somebody, so somebody who takes our courses and then goes on to study those subjects in, in a, in a tradi more traditional college would have a deeper understanding of what they're studying, why they're studying it, where it all comes from and how it fits into you know, human knowledge as a whole. So that's, that's, uh, that's kind of, that's an overview of the vision and, the, and some of the ways in which we're expanding our course offerings. Good, that's really uh, exciting. I'm looking forward to auditing and teaching. <laughs> yeah. We have a few questions I think we should answer from the chat. Uh, one person asks if we're targeting a specific age group. Um, I mean, we... I think, yeah. Um, so the course, so in one respect, no, because our courses, I think, will be available for auditing to people of all ages. Um, there's a lot, there's gonna be a lot of material that'll be really interesting, you know, especially for people in our objectivist community who, who you know, they've taken a lot of our courses, they come to our summer conference and so on. There's gonna be, but, but what we're offering here will be new things that will be, I think, really interesting to people for auditing. As far as graded students, we are, um, I think we're, we've traditionally attracted mostly sort of college age students, maybe some who are a little older, but I think we're, we're trying to move in a direction where we're attracting people at a younger age. So somebody who's maybe coming out of high school, one, one idea that we have for this is uh, the, the program that we offer could potentially be a really valuable full-time program for somebody who's doing a gap year or maybe taking two years between high school and college. You know, they take our courses, you know, do it as a full-time endeavor. Um, and what it gives them is a really solid foundation, as we talked about, a foundation for life, a perspective on all these different subjects areas. If they take that then into, uh, into their university when they go to, when they, when they go to school, um, you know, they will be much better prepared to understand, to put into context why they're even learning all of these subjects. So that's, so we're, you know, I think um, if we can attract students in the like 18 to 21 age, that would be great. We don't necessarily expect that to happen immediately. You know, that part of what we're doing, what we're doing here is on the premise of if we build it, they will come. So we're expanding our offerings, we're bringing in you know, these superstar faculty from our community. Um, and we'll see, we'll, you know, we wanna, we wanna offer these courses for the first time and see who we can attract and, you know, try to get the word out there. And there's a question if there's a PDF uh, available. So all the information we have publicly available, you can find at university.einrand.org. You'll find how to apply, um, what the different course offerings are with some descriptive information, pricing info. Um, so that's, that's where to look for, uh, for that kind of information. So one last uh, question before we move on to your physical science course. Um, one last question about the, the university as a whole. So how are these course offerings going to be uh, structured? Are they gonna be on an annual rotation every other year? Say I want to audit a class this year, uh, but I don't have the time. Does that mean I've missed my chance? It'll never be there again, uh, or, or, or what? Yeah, no, I think so. I think some of these courses will definitely be offered again. Um, as I said, this is the, in some ways this is kind of an experiment. We're doing this for the first time, so partly we're going to run these courses, see how they go before we make decisions about whether any particular course will be run again. One possibility is that we might run a, a given course, you know, once or maybe even twice, and, 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 and we record all these courses for internal purposes. But, you know, so once we have a really good recorded version of it, what we might do is offer it via the recording and then the instructor or teaching assistant might lead discussion sessions and interact with students in that way. But, 
but the course could be offered again, maybe even in an, in an asynchronous way. It'll just be available like, like the courses that we have on our campus.einrand.org site right now. Those are just video courses that are available for people to take. Though I, I think I don't think we would we would do that, but uh, we could potentially offer recorded versions in the future so that we can keep expanding the catalog, mm -hmm. you know, quite significantly. And uh, just to point out that the critical race theory course that we offered uh, last quarter, last two quarters, um, is coming back again uh, next year. So that's an example of a experiment that went well and we're going to repeat it was a very popular uh um well-received course um and if and, if I, and i'm glad of that because i uh i'm glad of that because i missed it the first time through so maybe i'll get a chance to watch it. <laughs> well I, I i was there the first half and then i had to teach my own course and i kind of dropped away so i have to listen to the uh, take the second half of the second version but uh yeah. if you're interested in that class learning about it uh, a little more there was a podcast uh, a few weeks ago, fairly recently, on uh, with the instructors uh, Nikos and uh, and Ankar. Um, okay, I think that's what we wanted to say about the ARU as a whole. Was there any any final thoughts that you had about the new catalog, Keith? No, I just think um, I'm I'm really excited about the new offerings. Uh, actually, one thing we didn't mention was you can actually see the video of Tal's talk at Ocon if you oh. go to the Ayn Rand Institute YouTube channel. Um, maybe we can, I, I, don't, I don't think we plan to have this in the course notes, but maybe we can get the URL for um, for that presentation. You, you know, Tal's a, Tal's a good uh he, he's a good speaker and he's very motivated. Like I, everyone, who, everyone who was at the conference was super excited about the new course offerings, including me. <laughs> and, I, and I already knew what they were going to be. So, so take a look at that, and I uh, hope you're you'll be end up being as excited about the uh, what we're doing as we all are. Good. Uh, okay, so Keith, let's talk about your class. I'm I'm excited to learn more about it. So, um, it's the foundations of physical sciences. Do you want to start by giving us uh, just a summary of its content and some of the logistics, and then I'll uh, we'll get deeper into it. Yeah, so it's it's foundations of physical science, but it's a very it's a very delimited aspect of the foundations of physical science. It's basically looking at, you know, how how do we know how did we get to our understanding of the, the laws of motion and gravitation that Isaac Newton came up with, you know, so. Um, the it it's so it's not all of physical science it's it's a very delimited it's that very delimited aspect of it and basically what we're going to be covering is the historical progression that starts with the basic observations that ancient man made about you know the objects that you see in the sky the sun the moon the stars the planets you know starting with those basic observations and what was known you know to the ancient babylonians for instance how do you go from that to through the whole historical progression that gets you to Newton's understanding of these things? So that's basically what the course is going to be covering. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, how many classes, how much, uh, how, how, when does it start? Uh, how long will yeah, it go? So, so I'm going to be teaching this. So we have, we're on a, so Ayn Rand University is on a quarter system um, and the quarters Q, it's, it's, it's roughly the uh, typical academic year. We start in October. So we go, Q1 is October through December. Q2 is January through March, et cetera. Um, so this is gonna be taught in the first two quarters. So it'll go basically starting in October and it'll go through October 22 through March of 23. Um, I'm gonna be doing 10 sessions, 10 classes each quarter. So 20 classes probably about two, maybe two and a half hours each class. Um, I, I do plan also to do office hours and maybe special extra sessions for people. I'll say a little bit about this in a minute. Um, you know, like for people who don't have as strong a math background, for instance, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll, I might hold some special sessions, but that's basically, basically 10, you know, 20 classes in total of about two and two to two and a half hours each class. Okay. 
And how does this fit into the vision we talked about? Yeah, so, um, I mean, science obviously is a, 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 a ubiquitous and critical feature of the modern world. But most people, I think, don't have a good sense of how we know the things that that's how 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 we know the things that we know in the scientific realm, or what the scientific method consists of, how scientists think and how they view the world. Um, so I think any educated person should know something about that. They should know something about you know the, the origins of the basic you know, our basic understanding of the physical world and have some sense of how that knowledge comes about. When people don't have that understanding, you know, I think it's really, you, you see all around us, you know, very anti-science kinds of perspectives. I mean, just the fact that, mm -hmm. the fact that the, 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 the phenomenon of creationism is as widely, as widespread as it is, is insane, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I, after 400 years of modern science and after Darwin and after everything that we know and have learned, the fact that people can, can still cling to mythological views is just crazy. So, and I, and I think it's partly because, um, you know, people don't have a good sense of where, where, the, where this knowledge comes from and how it's connected to reality. And even people who do study the physical sciences, the methods by which they study them also don't necessarily make it super clear how it's connected to reality, how the knowledge was developed, and and how uh, to how how to continue in the process of of developing new knowledge. So, um, you know, I, I think it's it's a core. We talked about trying to provide a foundation for life by looking at sort of the core pillars of human knowledge. Science obviously is a major one, and that's why that's why this is a part of it. Okay. Um, I can also and say, just, you know, this, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask just to clarify. So this is a um, not an intro fit to physics course like you'd get in college. Like yeah, it's not, so course, yeah. right. So if you if you if you go to college and you take an intro like a one hundred level one year physics course, they're going to cover all the major aspects of physics. You know, they're going to talk about you know the motion they're going to talk about gravitation kinematics they're going to talk about wave theory electricity and magnetism they, they cover the whole you know they, they want to give an introduction to the whole subject so that is not what this is going to be this is as i said it's very delimited we're going to be focused just on the development of the laws of motion and gravitation um but it's also uh yeah so so and um it's going to take an approach that you wouldn't get in an intro physics course because it'll what we're going to be doing is tracing the historical development of the knowledge from the earliest you know perceptual observations that people made up through um, up through the the, uh, the discoveries that Newton wrote down so so it's not an intro physics course it's not even though we're even though we're taking a historical approach it's not a history of science course either I'm not going to it's not going to be, I'll be saying a lot about historical figures and their discoveries, but a history of science course, you know, the focus there would really be on going through every step of the history and, and really understanding what they were doing in their historical context and that sort of thing. So it's not intro physics, it's not history of science, and it's not philosophy of science. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a philosopher and I'm not really qualified, I think, to, to present, for instance, like present the theory of induction or anything like that. But the, uh, I think some, some philosophical issues will come out in the course. Um, but it's, okay. but it's, so looking and we'll say a little bit more about what I mean by the foundations of physical science, but it's, but that's basically what we'll cover. Yeah. So if I want to take your course, um, but I don't really have much of a math science background, Am I going to struggle? Uh, are we going to do calculus and uh, differential equations, or, or no, are we going no, to no, keep yeah. it simple? Yeah. So the the aim is that the I, I'm not going to assume any physics or real or any math background. You know, basically, I I, I 
I will be will be doing will be using math sort of at the level of high school algebra and trigonometry. Um, but I would say that I really want to stress that if if you're somebody who always hated math or you're scared of math or you didn't you know get math in high school, um, don't let that deter you from taking this course because I first of all I plan to early on in the course, I will plan to hold an extra session or two, maybe for people who need a review or an introduction to, you know, basic algebra and trigonometry. The other thing is like, if you, if part of what you dislike about math is that, you know, when you, let's say you studied trigonometry in high school, you know, so what is trigonometry? Trigonometry is, is the study of how, different parts of triangles relate to each other. Well, why the hell does anybody need to know how different parts of triangles relate to each other? I mean, the, the, the way it's presented, it's just presented as like, okay, there's triangles, they got angles, they got lengths of sides, how do those relate to each other? Let's study all this stuff. And for the most part, it's not mot well motivated at all. And it's easy for people to find it totally boring. You know, why, we do, why do we even need to learn this? Um, and, and partly it's just a failing of how it's done, how it's taught, how it's presented. What's interesting is um, if, you, if you look at the history of trigonometry as an area of math, what's, what's interesting is that um, it was largely astronomers, early ancient Greek astronomers are the people who, um, who basically invented trigonometry because they needed it in order to do the mathematical astronomy that they were doing. So some of the people who are the founders of trigonometry are Aristarchus, who's one of the, one of the astronomers that we're gonna be talking about in the course, and Hipparchus uh, was an ancient Greek astronomer. Um, and, and they developed trigonometry because they needed it in order to you know, study the things that they were studying and looking at the properties of, you know, the motions of the heavenly bodies. So, uh, even if you hated trigonometry and didn't see what the point was, if you take my course, I will, I will, I will hopefully try to do it in a way that makes it super clear how valuable and how interesting and how important the subject is for you. So math phobes are welcome in the course. That was maybe longer <laughs> than I wanted to go on, but I, but I'm, 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 I'm really, I really, I really want people to uh, not be deterred by issues of math. If you're somebody who, if you think of yourself as a logical person, that's all you need for this, you know. Okay. What kind of work should a student expect to do? So we're not going to get into super complicated math, but the math we will have, will we have uh, practice problems? Will we have to calculate the orbit of Mars? What what are we going to do in class? Well, I don't think the orbit of Mars is complicated. That took Kepler's genius to figure <laughs> that out. But uh, um, yeah, I, I'm still figuring out exactly what the homework will look like. Likely there will be some math problems, but not anything too complicated. Uh, there'll probably be some writing assignments. So that I'm still working on that, uh, you know, what kind of work there is. A lot of, the, a lot of it will just be, you know, um, being attentive in the lectures and making sure you're grasping the material, because that's where a lot of the uh, work is going to happen. Um, there's not even going to be a ton of reading. Um, I, I will be using two books that I'm going to be assigning as required texts. I mean, I have a long reading list of sort of optional works. There's a there's a ton of interesting book, obviously, obviously about the history of science and and, and about these topics in particular. So there'll be, you know, if you if you want to go down a rabbit hole of reading, you know, dozens of books on all these subjects, I, I can provide references. Um, but there, there are two books that I'll be using as required text. Maybe we could put those covers up. So we're actually doing, so we're actually going to be using a book called The Logical Leap. So this was written by Dave Harriman. Um, and it's it was written sort of in collaboration with Leonard Peikoff. And what the book presents is a, a theory of scientific induction that was developed by Dr. Peikoff. Um, and, uh, at, and, and to a large extent, it's illustrated by and, and validated by um, in, you know, episodes from the history of science. 
So a lot of the material that we'll be covering in this course is covered in chapter three of chapters three and four of this book. And so we're going to be using we're going to be using the book as, as a textbook. Again, not because we're going to be discussing the theory of induction explicitly. That's not going to be the focus of the course, but the physical science background that was part of the um, presentation of Dr. Peikoff's theory of induction um, is relevant to what we'll be talking about. You know, that is what we'll be covering. And so we're going to use that as a textbook. Um, the other text, but, but again, the sections of it are quite short. So it's not, this isn't going to be like tons and tons of reading. Um, the other book we're going to be using, if we can get that up. So this is a book called The Stars, A New Way to See Them. It's sort of an introduction to astronomy. We're not going to be going through it systematically because again, like this isn't an astronomy course either, right? Um, but the, some of the material that's in here will be really, is, is really useful for explaining what we see in the sky. Um, and so parts of it are going to be relevant to understanding some of the material that we need to understand in the course. And if the name H.A. Ray looks familiar to you, yes, that is the guy who wrote the Curious George books. He was an amateur astronomer. Uh, he was really into it. And he wrote the, this. This is sort of a classic introduction to astronomy by but that he wrote. And, and um, part of what's awesome about this book is he's, it's it's got tons of hand-drawn illustrations by H.A. Ray that are like, you can, you can tell, you can see the Curious George style in them, but they're super useful in explaining, you know, different aspects of, of the solar system <laughs> and so on. So, uh, so we'll be using this one as a textbook as well. Okay. So I wanna get into more of the details of the course content. So you mentioned that we're looking at the progression from the ancient Babylonian astronomers up through Newton's discovery of the law of universal gravitation. And we're thinking of this as like the accumulation of uh, evidence over, over centuries to, a, to a, the formation of a theory. What's the value in learning the ancient astronomy and the techniques of observational astronomy? I mean, if I want to find something in the night sky, isn't there an app for that now? Like, why do I need to learn the Babylonian techniques of locating the position of Mars? Yeah, so, so I mean, that's a great place to start because that gets us right into what it means when we say that, that this course is sort of informed by objectivism's radical framework, right? So, uh, and, you know, what's the difference between this course and sort of a standard physics course that you might get? So if you ask the question, what are the foundations of knowledge? We're calling this the foundations of physical science. So when, when Tal gave this presentation at Ocon and mentioned that one of the courses would be a course on the foundations of physical science, somebody came up to me afterwards and said, oh, you're, going, you're doing the foundations of physical science. So you must be starting with, you know, quantum theory, right? You're gonna talk about the basic building blocks of matter, you know, and how we got, get for, go from that, you know, in this kind of reductionist sense, like up to chemistry and physics, you know, all this stuff. And, I'm, and so, so the point is, that's exactly not the way to think about this. If you ask, what are the foundations of knowledge? The foundations of, the foundation of all knowledge is sense perception. And so the question is, if you have any, any item of knowledge that you claim, anything you claim to know, how do you know it? The way you, you in order to, in order to understand how a person knows it, you have to be able to trace it back to perceptual observation, ultimately. Um, and so the reason for starting with ancient observational astronomy is that, that, it, that it, it's, it's the observations of the things in the sky. That's what gives rise to all of this knowledge in the first place. That's what the knowledge is based on, is what you actually see when you look in the sky. I mean, just to concretize this a little bit, you know, you, you ask any educated person today and they'll say, well, they know, you know, that the earth is a planet, that it orbits the sun once a year, it rotates on its axis once a day. But if you ask them, how do we actually know that? You know, let's like, if you didn't have 
space shuttles and you know space-based telescopes and all that sort of thing like how would you actually show that that's true you know uh so maybe we can show this image like if you actually if you actually look up at the sky this is what you see right um you know we all have this image of a bird's eye view of the solar system with the planets going around it and so on and so we, oh yeah we know that that's what's what, what what happens but if you actually go outside at night like this is what you actually see so how do you get from this to the understanding that newton developed of the solar system and the laws of motion the laws of gravitation the law of gravitation um so that so how human knowledge builds up from perceptual observation to these uh, you know, very deep conceptual principles, um, that is what we're gonna be, that's what it means to understand the foundations of a subject and that's what we're gonna be covering. Um, I mean, just, I have another, just to give another example of this, how do, you, how do we even know that there is such a thing as a planet, okay? Like you can you can go out and see them in the night sky, right? Um, you can use one of those apps to say to look like you you know I have a couple of these apps on my phone and they're they're great because you can point it up there and it'll tell you like oh that's Jupiter or that's Mars. But if you didn't have an app and you didn't have someone to tell you hey that's Mars, like how would you even know that there is such a thing? And so, you know, where does this concept even come from in the first place? So the way we actually know that there are these objects in the sky that sort of that look like stars, but they behave differently from stars. Uh, just to give a little context here. So if you, if you go out and you look at the night sky, you see all these stars and we have, and we've, and you know, over millennia, people have, have named these stars, they've mapped their exact positions and, what they what you observe is that even as they they rise in the east and set in the west just like the sun does every day they move through the sky overhead they maintain their positions relative to each other so there's this there's this fixed map of stars and we know this because you know we formed uh, constellations based on uh you know we've, we've we 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 we're so familiar with their groupings that we can form these constellations. Um, so we're showing an image here, you know, of, of the Gemini, the twins, Orion, the hunter, right? Um, so you, you so, and, and these stars are fixed with respect to each other. They mean, from the perspective of somebody standing on the earth, looking up at the night sky, these stars remain in their position, even as the whole thing you know, rotates around the sky from east to west every night, right? Now, um, but if you observe the sky over many nights, over weeks, over months, over years, what you discover is that there are a, a tiny number of objects. So there's, you know, thousands of stars in the sky, but just a few of them, some of the brighter, brightest ones, um, actually behave differently. So um, so you have all these stars that are fixed in place with respect to one another, but then what you see is that there are a few that aren't fixed in place. So let's go to the next image. Okay, so if you look at a different time of the month, you'll see that this, the, the, this red star that we're calling Mars, you know, is in a different position in the constellation Taurus the bull. So just let's go back and forth between them. So, you know, at one time of the month, you'll see Mars in this location in the constellation Taurus. Uh, you know, uh, 20 days later or so, you'll see it in a different location. So in contrast to all these stars that are fixed in place, you there are these other, these other star-like things that seem to wander through the sky. And the, the, the Greek word for wandering star is planet. So this is like, historically, this is where the concept of planet even comes from in the first place. This is how we know that there is such a thing as a planet. And, the, and 
you know, there were, <clears throat> so there were seven wandering stars or wandering objects that were known to the ancients. Um, you know, the five, there's five planets that are visible, uh, you know, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and then the sun and the moon also wander through the stars. Um, so those seven objects, unlike all the rest of the stars in the sky that remain fixed in place with respect to each other, these other seven objects wander through the sky. And that's, that's where we even have the concept of a planet in the first place. Um, so that's just an example. You know, we, you know, how many people watching this podcast today knew that history and knew that, that like they all think they know what a planet is. Well, yeah, it's these things in our solar system, but how do we, how did we, how did that knowledge come about? What gave rise to the concept in the first place? Um, so Keith, who, if you, who were the yeah. first people, who were the first people to realize that there are wandering stars? Was it the Babylonians? Um, is this a pre-recorded history discovery? I think it's definitely a pre-recorded history discovery and the Babylonians kept very detailed records of, mm -hmm. of the motions of, you know, the sun, the moon, and the, and the five visible planets that are visible to the naked eye. Um, and they had, you know, the Babylonians actually had very detailed mathematical theories for predicting, uh, for, for instance, the phases of the moon. Um, you know, it was very important for them for the purposes of their calendar, you know, to, so a lot of this stuff was motivated by, by just the cycle of the seasons, you know, people, um, mm. people needed, you know, just imagine yourself back in prehistoric times, you know, for one thing, like, it, it's hard for us in the age of, in the electric age to imagine, to, to, to project like what life is like in the pre-electric age, you know, before Thomas Edison, basically when the sun went down, you know, it was dark. And, mm. you know, so, so I think ancient people were, were much more knowledgeable, probably, probably much more knowledgeable about what you see in the night sky than most people today. We don't, um, you know, well, you put up that image, and I, I thought to myself, I wished, <laughs> I wish my the, the sky above my home looked that, that looked like that. Well, that's yeah, it's obviously a challenge to get a clear. I mean, so a lot of a lot of, uh, you know, the most detailed observations and records were in Egypt and Babylon, you know, ancient Mesopotamia. I think they they probably benefited from clearer night skies than in some parts of the country here. I'm in Southern California, so I, I'm lucky to have, have uh, clear skies a lot. I mean, the other, um, the other thing that we have is, is what, what astronomers call light pollution, but that's sort of a pet peeve of mine because it, it, what it, it's basically a, the perspective that it has is, you know, we have this incredible benefit of modern civilization and, and electric light that, you know, we live in these modern cities, you know, that, that uh, are powered by energy. I mean, it, it's, uh, this is like, we, we have an, a, a quality of life that's unprecedented in human history as a result of all of this technology. And, and, and I, I mean, and then, and then they refer to it as light pollution. Pollution. Light is not light is not a pollution. Light is a you know is a is a Gift. enormous benefit. Achievement. So yeah. yeah, exactly. So now on the now I get the perspective though because if you're trying to do astronomy, the fact that there's this huge background let's call it background illumination, okay, not light pollution. There's a there's a lot of background illumination that makes it harder to do observational astronomy. You know near large cities and so that so you know that is a challenge but i don't want to call it light pollution <laughs> fair enough um yeah so um so the point is ancient people uh knew a lot of these things knew knew a lot about the motions of the bodies in the sky by the time you get to the birth of civilization and 
uh, as civilizations that that were keeping written records, Egypt, um, you know, the ancient Babylon, um, they they were keeping detailed records of uh, their observations. And you know, when you start keeping records over, you know, not just days and weeks and months, but even years and even centuries comparing historic, like this is one of the things we'll, we'll be talking about is like some of the, some discoveries that people made in ancient Greece um, were a result of looking at the sky today versus even millennia ago based on these ancient records. And so you can, so you can integrate observations over long time periods like this and discover things, discover, uh, uh, you know, discover things that you can't just see if you just go out and look, you know, on, on any given night. Um, so that's really important as well. Um, but what's interesting is, um, yeah, so, so, yeah, so, so the Babylonians um, had these detailed records and I was saying they you know, they needed to be able to um, figure out what on what day the new moon would occur because they had a, a, a lunar solar calendar. So they needed to know when the, what the start of the new month was going to be. And so they had to, so they developed these very sophisticated mathematical models, basically based on arithmetic progressions that allowed them to figure that kind of thing out. Um, so based on on keeping such careful records of their observations of these bodies. Okay, um, so I, I did mention uh, there being an app for some of this. Are you gonna use the, oh, yeah. any, any apps in your course for? Yeah, 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 so, um, so, I mean, I mentioned that some of the things that we'll be talking about require uh, you know, observing things in the sky over extended periods of time. Now, obviously, if you're sitting in a two-hour class and we're, you know, it's, I'm planning to teach it during the day, so we can't all go outside and be looking at things. Uh, so I am, I'm going to be using an app that'll help us, allow us to visualize some of these, the motions of the heavenly bodies that occur over extended periods of time. So I'm going to be, there's an app called Sky Safari that I'm going to use. Um, and what I'll be doing is, is showing, I'll be showing little video clips, you know, images and video clips, actually those, those pictures of Mars uh, that we just looked at, those were screenshots from the Sky Safari app. So there, there's all kinds of like really cool astronomy apps like this that are useful for not just for visualizing what you can see in the sky. Um, and, and, and you can actually, you can, you can change the time increments. So instead of looking, um, you know, just at a snapshot, you can say, let's advance time by an hour or by a day or by a month or something like that. And you can look at how things change over that time period. And that allows you to um, see what the motions of these bodies are over different time frames. Because, mm. you know, so it's so some of the things that we're gonna be talking about are things that you would only discover if you go out and you look you know, on one day and then you compare your observation, like with the image of Mars there, in order to see that Mars is a, is a wandering star, that it changes its position with respect to the fixed stars, you've gotta go out and you've gotta look at it on one night and then remember where it was and compare that observation to you know, an observation that you make 20 days later. Then you you know, but but again, like like I was saying, if you imagine prehistoric people with no electric light, you know, if you're some uh, if you're some kid who's assigned to watch the sheep, you know, and you're so you're out there every night anyway. Uh, it it's 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 not surprising that ancient people would have made these observations, would have would have been able over 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 you know centuries millennia of human development that the kinds of observations that we're talking about would have been apparent to them because they would be you know because they, they would be able to integrate these observations over long periods of time like that 
Mm -hmm. um, so it's not surprising that they would discover it, even if it does require this kind of integration of perceptual observations over that time frame. But for the purposes of the course, what will help us to integrate these perceptions over time is using an app where we can change the time increments. So I wanted to give an example of this just to show you the kind of thing that we're doing. I have a little video clip here. So this is, we're looking at, we're looking to the north and you can see all the stars. So this is, these are moving in one minute increments, but very quickly. Um, and you can see, maybe we can run this clip again. So you can see the North Star. Um, so in, in the center there, you see the, there's a star that's not moving at all, and that's Polaris, the North Star. And all the other stars are sort of rising in the east and circling around and then setting in the west. But, and we, but now, if you just go out at night, you, know, you don't see them moving like this. You see them at one time, and then if you look two hours later, you'll see that they've rotated. You know, that's what you actually see. But in order to understand the motions of the bodies, we want to we want to be able to see how they move over extended periods of time. So this is, you know, sort of from from uh, dusk till dawn, you're seeing you see how the, the app includes a daylight setting. So you're seeing it, you're seeing it from sunset to sundown. You see, this is how the stars, well, you can actually see Cassiopeia, uh, that sort of W looking set of stars kind of rotating around the North Star. Um, so, so, that's, so, we'll, so we'll be using an app to help visualize. So that's good, we can stop showing the clip now. Um, but we'll be using, so we'll be using an app that I, I think it'll be really, uh, uh, really helpful I'll be able to show people what I'm talking about when I talk about the things that one sees in the night sky um, using this app. It'll be super, uh, super helpful. Great. So is there anything else uh, as far as course content that you wanted to highlight for us? Yeah, I mean, let me, I see we're already... <laughs> I, I, we got about 10 minutes left, yeah. Yeah, one hazard here is I'm so excited about this stuff that I could <laughs> geek on about this for hours, so. Uh, well, you could just give us the course right now. It's... Yeah, well, yeah, you could just start it. Um, so, so just briefly, uh, I, I can kind of briefly give an overview of the course outline. We're gonna, so as I said, we're gonna start with these observations, you know, that were known to ancient civilizations. Um, but they didn't, so they, even though they had very detailed records, very detailed observations, they didn't really have any kind of causal understanding of what they were seeing. I mentioned the Babylonians kept these very detailed records about uh, the phases of the moon. I don't think, I'm still trying to nail this down for sure, but I don't think they understood that the phases of the moon are caused by its position relative to the sun and the sunlight illuminating half the surface of the moon and you know where it is from the point of view of the earth. Um, you know, they their perspective on what the moon and the sun were was mythological, right? That it's this, it's this godlike body that moves through the sky. And then when it sets in the east, it gets on a boat and rides through the underworld so that it can rise again in the east the next day. You know. Um, the idea that it's a spherical body that's out there in space that's being illuminated by the sun and we see the phases for that reason, I don't think they had that understanding. So, so, um, so the birth of science and the birth really occurred in ancient Greece. And that's when people, the idea of trying to come up with consistent, logical, natural, as opposed to mystical, scientific understanding of things, um, that's when that began. Um, so I, I wanted to, so I wanted to ask you about, yeah. um, since it's not a philosophy of science class, philosophical issues must, must come up in some places though. So, and this sounds like one of those places, maybe the scientific revolution is another, what kind of things will we be talking about that, it, um, of a philosophical, uh, flavor? Yeah, so I think you know the distinction between the 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 uh, sort of philosophical framework that you get in ancient Greece versus 
pre-Greek civilizations is one difference that we'll be talking about. And, and that partly helps to explain why it is that the Greeks were the first to really make progress in this. Um, some of the philosophical premises that were um, underlying you know, the, the work done by people like Ptolemy, you know, who, who had the, this sort of very complete um, model for, you know, for calculating planetary motions, but it, it was, it's based on um, you know, very unrealistic and unphysical assumptions. You know, people have heard of like these epicycles and, and features like that. Um, the, to the Ptolemaic uh, model is with the Earth at the center. Yes, and yeah. Well, maybe I'm getting a little getting getting a little uh, ahead of myself um, in terms of trying to make it clear what the problems are. But there are definitely philosophical problems that come up with Ptolemy's model, even with Copernicus, and so on. So, I, one thing I was going to suggest, actually, for for people who want to, uh, if people are interested in taking my course and they want to know what sort of background um, they, what sort of preparation they might do. <clears throat> um, Leonard Peikoff's History of Philosophy course, which is available on our campus website, campus.einrang.org, that, um, that gives really, that, what that tells you is um, what, what was the birth of philosophy in ancient Greece, you know, and what were some of the problems that they were considering, what were the issues that they were focused on, you know, you get a lot about the pre-Socratics, about Plato, about Aristotle, you know, and I'm not going to be covering a lot of that in my course, obviously, because it's not a history of philosophy course. But if you if you know or if you remind yourself about, you know, that historical context, uh, that'll be useful uh, for this course. Not 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 required, obviously, but it'll be useful. Um, so we're going to be covering as I said, we're gonna be covering, you know, sort of ancient pre-Greek observations. We're gonna be talking about the first physical theories of motion and, um, and, and the first theories that try to explain the motions of the heavenly bodies in ancient Greece. So the, the you know, models that were developed by Eudoxus and refined by Aristotle. Um, we're gonna be talking about spending a lot of time on, um, on the discoveries made by Hellenistic astronomers. So uh, that's sort of the, um, uh, what was it, sort of third century through, through the Roman period, roughly in, in yeah. the Greek world. Um, discoveries made by Aristarchus, by Eratosthenes, by Hipparchus, and then culminating in sort of the, in, in, in the Ptolemaic model. Um, which was kind of the standard model of the planetary motions for centuries until you get to Copernicus. Um, so then we're gonna talk about the Copernican revolution. And actually that's, so in terms of the course breakdown, the first quarter is, um, I think it's likely that we'll end with Copernicus. So we'll talk about the Copernican revolution and stop there. And then in the second quarter, we'll talk about what we refer to as the scientific revolution. So. Um, figures like Tycho Brahe, the great observational astronomer, uh, Johannes Kepler, Galileo, and then and Newton. And that, that's, so those figures and their work will be covering the second part. Well, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and it sounds like even someone with a physics degree or an astronomy degree is going to learn a lot that they didn't get out of a college curriculum. So. I, I think so. I mean, I really view this course as as being accessible to and interesting to basically anybody. You know, uh, if you're if you're even if you're somebody with a physics degree, you probably never learned this historical progression. Um, and so I think you would find this interesting because it'll be it'll be new material. Um, most of what you'll be learning is new material, and and the order of of the discoveries and how they build on each other is something you wouldn't have gotten in a physics course. Um, so I think you'd find that interesting. You know, um, if you're, even if you're somebody who's studied astronomy, I don't know how much 
basic observational astronomy people get. You know, I, I don't, I'm not that familiar with what's taught in astronomy courses, but usually they, they spend a little bit of time on observation and then they go right to, uh, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of uh, theory and telescope observations and things like that. So, so I think even, and, and, and the, the use of astronomy as the foundation for um, our understanding of motion and gravitation, that's not something that, that is tracing that historical development is not something you typically get in an astronomy class. So um, yeah, I think everybody should take this course. Okay, well, I think so too. Uh, I'll I'll be uh, in the audience uh, for the for the whole thing. So I think that's all the time we have uh, for today. Yeah, I see that we have a couple. So, I see we have a couple do we questions. Do a few like questions. To... We can take well, a few minutes. Um, so somebody's asking. I guess this is in reference to when we were talking about the course expansion. Someone asked, no course on economics. Economics is definitely one of the subjects that we want to include. We're, uh, we're working on that. Psychology is another field that I, I think is essential. Um, even, even, you know, courses on different periods in history, I think taught from an objectivist framework would be valuable. So as I said, this is just the beginning of the ARU course expansion, um, what we're gonna be offering this year but we definitely hope to get to some of these other ones. Um, but this question here, any future plans for course on gender, quantum physics, postmodernism, feminism? Well, the, the critical race theory class covers issues of gender, feminism, and postmodernism. Um, quantum mechanics, I guess, is the odd man out in that list, but maybe a quantum well, mechanics class some years in the future, Keith? I mean, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, so as I said, this course that I'm offering covers a very delimited aspect of the history of physical science. Um, I'm hoping, let me put it that way, that, that I could continue this and do a whole series of courses like this that would cover other topics, electricity and magnetism, the atomic theory. And um, I think it, it, Ultimately, I would love to be able to get to modern physics. I, there's definitely some things that I, I, I that I, I would want to, I would love to do a course on general, special and general relativity, um, which is actually my, that's what my background is in my, in my physics PhD. It was in relativistic astrophysics. So, and I, I, I think I could do that also without having to make it too mathematical. And then in terms of quantum theory, quantum physics, um, there's there's definitely room for a course that that goes through the major discoveries in the 19th century that gave rise to quantum physics. I don't you know we couldn't do it in its full mathematical glory, but why there is even why the subject even exists in the first place, why it was necessary to develop quantum theory, um, you know I I would love to do a course on that too. So. So I can't make any promises because all this is very like right now we know what we're doing in this upcoming year, but I would I I would love to uh, do this eventually and maybe if people write in and say they would love to have courses on this, we could justify it so. Um, yeah, so we should probably I think we should wrap up wrap up. Yeah. Um, uh Okay, so thank you for everyone who to everyone who sent in a question and those of you who made super chat donations on YouTube, we appreciate your uh, support. So I think we have um, some resources uh, to share that we might want to you might want to look at uh, today. I think the philosophy history of philosophy course is the major one that uh, that Keith recommended particularly the sections on ancient philosophy. Is that right, Keith? Um, <clears throat> and uh, next week's show is going to be on not everyone who is mistaken is evil, but some are. Uh, you can join. <laughs> yeah, the title's funny. Uh, you can join uh, our senior fellow Ankar Gatte and uh, fellow Ben Bayer for a discussion of 
um, the issue of the evil or not evil of mistaken uh, ideas. Um, and that's on Wednesday at the usual, usual times. Please send us uh, your questions for future Q&A episodes. We do about once every five or six weeks, uh, a general open Q&A episode, um, but you can send us those questions at any time. We, uh, we keep a queue and you can send those to, thank you, you can send those to newideal at einrand.org. So um, even if you, we don't do an episode for three more weeks, uh, if you send one today, it'll, it'll be in the queue. Uh, we'll, we'll look at it. If you enjoyed our podcast, uh, please subscribe to our channel on YouTube and click the bell notifications to get, uh, to get notified when we go live or when we post new recordings. If you're watching the recording, please like, comment, and share uh, the episode to help us attract new viewers. And please consider doing the same if you're watching on Facebook. If you have questions or comments on today's episode, or you have suggestions for future episodes, please email us again at newideal at einrand.org. We read all the emails. We reply to many of them. Uh, so please send us your comments and suggestions uh, there. So thanks again, Keith, for telling us uh, about the IRU expansion, and especially thank you for telling us about your class, the Foundations of Physical Science. Yeah, thanks. See you all. Fun. See you all in the future. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.